We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, hey, hey. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna freeze. Uh, wait. <laughs> Tonight at the main event, what do we have? Who do we have? You know what it is. It's Taco Tuesday. It's another episode of the Points in the Paint podcast presented by Stadium. Ben Wittenstein with you. And Zach Badger House. Zach, we have a lot to talk about for the conference finals going on. Uh, but before we do, if people want to subscribe, leave comments, whatever you may do for the podcast or everywhere that you find your podcast, you can follow us on Twitter at Points Paint as well. But let's start with the first of the big three, Zach, as we uh, take a look at these series. Let's start with the Western Conference. The big three for the Western Conference Finals. Lakers, Nuggets, we almost got so close to a 1-1 series tie, but then Anthony Davis just had to go out there and ruin everything. Yeah, he knocked down a killer shot, right? Because Jokic comes down and basically puts AD in the rim. You know, he puts the Denver Nuggets up by, by what, a point? And, yep. you know, Lakers call a timeout. They get the right possession. You know, they get the right play call, and, you know, Anthony Davis comes off the screen and knocks down the three over, who was that, Miles Plumley at the end? Oh, was jo- well, Jokic got back. He was able to close out pretty well. It should have been Plumley. Plumley exactly. should have been there. He shouldn't That's have even let Davis get the ball. <laughs> Un- I just – it makes me so mad how that last play came out. I just – I don't know what Plumley was thinking, and I understand that there was a miscommunication between Plumley and, Jerry- and, and Grant who was guarding LeBron. And I understand that maybe Grant was supposed to switch and Plumlee was supposed to get LeBron, but LeBron never set a screen and Plumlee ran directly towards LeBron instead of around LeBron when he could have had an easy lane to at least defend the pass into Davis. And I'm not really sure what he was thinking. It was a weird thing to see. Yeah, it was. And that's why you don't make those types of substitutions to end games. I understand people always want a big guy on the inbound pass to defend the inbound pass. But as you can see, he was clearly lost in the situation that led to Anthony Davis getting that shot in a late closeout by Nikola Jokic. So that's that's my biggest issue with that. That's why I mentioned Miles Plum. That's why I mentioned Plumlee in the beginning, because I knew that he probably should have been the guy closing out, but he wasn't. And that's just poor communication by the Denver Nuggets defense. Yeah, so the Lakers win 105-103. They go up 2-0 in the series. And, you know, it almost it almost kind of feels like that Raptors 
Celtics series almost in a way if if it didn't have the same turnout where you're like this is kind of where the Nuggets needed to get that win this this was their opportunity to get that win to even up the series to at least make this somewhat of a series because I think you and I are on the same page here where we both believe the Lakers are going to win this series no matter kind of what happened in that game but at least the Nuggets would have shown some fight something if they had gotten at least one win in the series and I I just don't know if they're going to have that type of opportunity again well, you know, we'll get to that later in the show, whether or not they'll win a game or so. But I'll say this. They did show some resilience, you know, in that fourth quarter. You know, they tied the game up early in the fourth. They were, you know, they had some defensive stops on LeBron. You know, he missed a lot of shots in that fourth quarter. And in, in the second half in general, you know, LeBron wasn't really too, wasn't really playing very well. He got off to a high wow. start in the first half. But in that second half, LeBron was not playing his best basketball You know, he only shot two of nine and he had four turnovers in the second half. And so he wasn't very impressive as he was, you know, in that first half. But, you know, the the late the Nuggets did some things that defensively that they may add into their, you know, their late they like their late game situations moving forward. And that's having, you know, PJ, PJ Dozier in the game. I know a lot of people were looked at that in question marks, but, you know, he played strong defense when he was in the game against LeBron. And, you know, he got to the foul line, but he got to make his free throws. And I think oh, that's his, that was his biggest issue for him was that yeah. he was only like one of five from the free throw line. And so that I don't know if that's nerves or jitters or what, but, you know, you may, ha- you may have to debate on that, whether or not you want to keep him in the game offensively. But I know for the defensive side of the ball, they can use him a lot. But maybe sometimes, you know, my, uh, I was going to ask you this. Does Malone go too deep into his rotation sometimes? What do you think about that? See, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting when a coach kind of pulls that stop, right, where he goes, OK, we're going to go 10, 11 deep in this series or even in this game. I think it's interesting to do it kind of on a game by game basis, because especially throwing someone like P.J. Dozier out there where I don't know how much the Lakers prepared for P.J. Dozier. I, I don't there, there's no way they really prepared a ton for him. So, you know, in a series where you're not you're you're the heavy underdog in the series. You're not really expected to win the series. You're not even expected to win even more than maybe one game. You might as well throw all the stops out there. You might as well throw P.J. Dozier out there, see what happens, maybe take the Lakers by surprise. And for the most part, I think it did. You're right. He he played really good defense in that game. And I think if you're asking me, would I rather have P.J. Dozier or Michael Porter Jr. there in crunch time? I would probably rather have P.J. Dozier. Now, if he continues to shoot free throws that way, I think I may change my mind. But he played defense Anthony Davis was the only Laker to score in the last five minutes of that game I mean the the Nuggets turned on their defense so I don't think I necessarily have a problem with with Malone going deep into his bench especially if it's a move like that where you bring in a player that the Lakers may not have prepped for who brings in some new life to the team and who brings some much needed defense down the stretch yeah because he played PJ Dozier he played the whole fourth quarter of that uh of that game and so yeah. i found that to be interesting so that's why i had to ask you because that took away minutes from guys like you know gary harris who's you know recently come back into the lineup for the denver nuggets and so you know it's going to be interesting to see what he's going to do with him moving forward with the rotation in late games because like i said defensively you know he wasn't too bad for the nuggets no he wasn't and i mean i think that's the thing is they have so many they have so many weapons that they can use and i think you know, if I'm Malone and I and, and the game is close towards the end of the game, I, I think I'm sticking all my defensive players in there other than Jokic and Murray, 
Because at this point, Zach, it seems to me that if the if the Nuggets are going to win the game, it's going to be because of what Jokic and Murray do in that two man game. I, I don't I don't think you can rely on someone like Jeremy Grant or even as someone like PJ Dozier to do that much consistently. So you surround him with the defensive talent because Jokic love the guy, not not a great defender. Murray can be on and off as a defender, but you really want him to focus all his effort and his strength and stamina on the offensive side of the ball. So surround them with defensive talent and let them do their thing in the offensive side. So I think that's kind of what Malone, I think, almost kind of figured out towards the end of that game, especially with Dozier. And I also think that the reason why AD made the shot was because they were wearing the mama jerseys. <laughs> it was the mama jerseys. I really think they were because of the mama jerseys. And he said Kobe after he hit the shot, too. So that was so that was pretty dope to see, too, as well, from Anthony Davis. And he had a stellar game, right? He got off to a great start in the second half. You know, he had 22 points in the second half. And he scored the last 10 points, you know, like you said, the last four, in the last four minutes of the uh of the game you know he was all locked in offensively and so they couldn't get a bucket from anyone else the los angeles lakers and so that was huge for anthony davis uh legacy wise in my opinion yeah well and that's concerning too i mean i think a great for anthony davis but i don't know about you I, that's concerning if i was a lakers fan seeing them not be able to score other than anthony davis under five minutes to go lebron couldn't do anything and the role players couldn't do anything. Danny Green was missing shots. Caruso missed a wide open three point shot from the top of the key. There was just no one who could do anything. And that is a little concerning. And I know the Nuggets play really good defense, especially in fourth quarters, but you would expect the Lakers to do a little bit better than what they did in that game, too. Yeah, Vogel didn't really look pleased after the shot. You know, they go over to celebrate and he had his arms crossed. So he yeah. he didn't really look too pleased after the shot. You know, they allowed them they allowed, they allowed the Denver Nuggets to get back into the game, the Lakers. And so it's gonna be interesting to see how Vogel uh, gets this team to play for a full four quarters in the next game. All right, we'll talk a little bit more about this Lakers Denver series in uh, our overreaction segment. But let's go to our second of the big three. The Big Three. And that has to do with the Eastern Conference Finals, Celtics and the Heat. Now, I'm just going to ask you this right off the bat, Zach. We know the series is at 2-1 to one right now in favor of the Heat. The Celtics won game three. But were you surprised that the Heat took a 2-0 lead right out of the gate? I was not. And at first I was, but then once I looked at the adjustments, you got to understand the adjustments. These two coaches right now, man, it's a chess match. You know, I, I've, I've been talking to my friends about this about this series. It's been a chess match between the coaches, right? Because the Boston Celtics, they had the opportunity to win game one and game two and lost both of those games. But specifically game two, they had every opportunity to win that game, uh, at least in the first half. But in the second half, oh, my goodness, when Eric Spoelstra went to zone bend, Ooh, it tasty. was – <laughs> it was so bad for the Boston Celtics. They shot 5 of 15, 33% in the second half, or specifically in the third quarter, and had five turnovers and allowed the uh, Miami Heat to get back in that game and even gain momentum in the fourth quarter to take the game away and go up 2-0 in the series. It's it's wild. I mean, that is that is one of those coaching moves that I think if it backfires – People are really looking at Spolstra like, what are you doing, man? But because it worked, he looks like an absolute genius for pulling it off. And I was I was a little surprised they didn't lean on it a bit more. But 
you know, it is the NBA. So I think teams can easily adjust to the zone, you know, better than, you know, what we see in college and things like that. But I think another thing that happened that helped the Celtics in game three was simply having Gordon Hayward back. I mean, he made such a big difference, especially on the defensive side of the ball and kind of helping with the rotations and, and helping with substitutions, even, you know, keeping some guys who may get more minutes when he's out on the bench to give him more minutes. His presence, I think, is going to be what tips this series in the Celtics' favor eventually. Yeah, you know what? Him playing, what, 31 minutes in in uh, game three, that was very valuable. And even Jalen Brown spoke on that, too. He said it was very huge for him to ha- have that extra guy play those valuable minutes. You know, he only scores six points. But I think just having him out there just to make the right plays and the right decisions – for the Celtics and even putting guys in, you know, the proper position because coming into game three, Spoelstra went into the zone at times and the Boston Celtics were able to capitalize. I I, I saw the difference, man, from game two to game three. Guys were yeah. moving around more. There were guys hitting the back door cuts. Yeah, Grant Williams, he played. Grant Williams in his minutes, Ben, were so key in that game three win because he was able to get in the right position, in the right spots in that zone and take advantage of the uh, situations offensively. And Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown being able to find the open cutters and even slash to the rim to set other guys up or to even just get a basket at the rim or a shot at the rim was how they were able to, you know, take advantage of that zone that Spoelstra was in in game three. Yeah, they were able to adjust. And, And we know Stevens is a good coach, and he's good enough to be able to coach these guys through any of the adjustments that the Heat make defensively. But it, it's the Williams on on the Celtics is, is really interesting. Robert Williams, we know, is, has been good as well. And Grant Williams, too. I mean, they, they've been very crucial role players for this Celtics team who sometimes need, they need kind of that rebounding help on the boards a lot. And I think that's why Brad Stevens brought in Enos Cantor for, for a couple of minutes against against the heat i mean this is a team that you can throw out and and, you know it's not their death lineup but that impressive lineup with kemba walker and marcus smart and jason tatum and gordon hayward you have all those guys out there and and jalen brown but you you sometimes need the rebounding you need the big guy help and so i think that's where people robert williams and and people like enos come in they're just such a well-built team that stevens is, is good in in using his personnel really efficiently yeah, absolutely. You know, the, I got to give credit where credit is due with Brad Stevens. You know, he made his adjustments going into game three to be able to take care of that zone and really be able to, you know, get those guys out of that situation in terms of, you know, slashing and cutting instead of just trying to shoot your way out of the zone. Because that's not necessarily how you can always, you know, get out of that, you know, get a team. Yeah, get it's, out hard, of that it's zone, hard to you know? do that. It's, it's hard. It's a hard way, thing to rely on because you have to hit. And the Celtics can be very streaky, as most teams can be. So if you find yourself not being able to hit after two or three shots, you're in trouble. You know, you can't just shoot yourself on sometimes if you're missing if you're missing the shots. It's an obvious statement. But the Celtics sometimes get in their own heads where they just end up playing either this iso ball or just launching threes. And I'm glad Stevens was able to make that adjustment. Yeah, me too. And I'm got and I'm pretty happy for Kim Walker. You know, these last two games he's played. Oh, yeah. He's played way better than he's played probably the entire playoffs in terms of the offensive side of the ball. So huge uh, credit for him. And hopefully he can be able to continue that going into game four. He seems he seems like he's a lot more comfortable. But uh, here here's not exactly a question for you, Zach, but something I wanted to bring up, because I think I've been talking about this with 
some of my friends lately, and I think a lot of other people have. And it has to do with Eric Spolstra and, and how he stacks up against the game's best coaches. And I think, you know, he was hired in 2008 as, as the Heat head coach, and they really haven't had an awful season since he has been a head coach. And they've won titles with him as a head coach, and now they're making another run with him as their head coach. And I kind of want to know where your opinion stands on Eric Spolstra, because I think he has he's absolutely a Hall of Fame coach at this point. And I think he's got to stack up as getting close to one of those top five NBA coaches of all time. He, he's eighth in playoff wins. He just moved up the list. He's going to get even more as these playoff goes on, as these playoffs go on. And, and to make adjustments and to take a team that not a lot of people thought even had a chance to get this far and to make them look dominant doing it. It's he he's just been an incredibly impressive coach. Oh, yeah. From the start, you know, he he had the obviously he had the the heatles, you know, with Brian and, and Chris Bosh and D Wade and those boys for, those you know, that four year span that they were all together and he won two championships. But, you know, coming in as the coach, there were question marks, but he'd be able to uh, coach that team and be able to, uh, you know, be an NBA coach in this league. And now look where we at. Right. We're sitting here raking him as being, you know, one of the top five coaches in the NBA. So that just goes to show you, you know, how far that sport has, you know, really has come along in this league. And I've always, always kept my eye on him at, for the post LeBron, you know, because there's yes. always that there's always that coach that fails, you know, once they don't have LeBron anymore or end up get, getting he ends up getting fired or, you know, seeking a new job or whatever the case may be. That's not the case for Spo. You know, he's been there ever since, you know, LeBron's left and decided to go back to Cleveland. And he's kept that Miami Heat team afloat and relevant in the Eastern Conference. And without question, Ben, he's top three coach in the East without question. Oh, absolutely. Like, he's a top, like, like, he's to, a top three coach. Yeah, I would I would say so. And you have to give it to Pat Riley, too, for bringing the talent in. And the drafting none and Hero and being able to bring in Jimmy Butler and getting Bam out of bio. I mean, them getting rid of Hassan Whiteside was a genius move, too. Even getting rid of players was a smart move on their part. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and just having that whole core together with Jimmy Butler, you know, getting Jimmy a free agency and, you know, giving those guys that confidence. It's really all about the confidence level that these guys have been able to play with and knowing that they can compete night in, night out with anyone that they step on the floor with. You know, having that confidence with them and they coming from Eric Spoelstra, that alone, you know, puts them right puts him right over the top as one of the best coaches in the Eastern Conference and in the NBA. He's definitely yeah. top three coach in the, in the oh, East. Oh, he has Because you got Nurse, Brad Stevens, and him. You know, yeah. And then whoever the Bulls hire next. <laughs> you know, if the Heat do make – if the Heat make the finals, we definitely have to have Amina Smith back on because if you had listened to our podcast, what was it, four weeks ago maybe before the playoffs started three weeks ago, she was, she was high in the Heat and – I think she convinced at least me that the Heat were going to make a big run, and she was absolutely right about, yeah, she about was. that. They just—they have looked unbelievably good. Yeah, we definitely uh, got to have her on. <laughs> we do, and she she can be able to gloat in our faces about being right about the Miami Heat. Uh, let's do our third of the big three. The big three. And that involves the MVP announcement that was just made the past week with Giannis winning his second MVP, second in a row. MVP coming in second, the number one, LeBron James, 16 out of 101 first place votes for LeBron. And oh boy, Zach, he was, uh, he was not happy about it. He was pretty mad. Yeah, he was 
highly upset or to say his words, <laughs> I, he was pissed off. You know, he, yes. that's the words. He, that's how he described it. Yeah, 16, 16 first place votes out of 101. That is maybe a little disrespectful. I asked someone a question like he couldn't get 35 votes. Like so, Ben, he couldn't get 35 45 first place votes so so it is it may be a little disrespectful when you look into lebron year 17 he's 35 years old he just led the league in assists he averaged 25 points again over 25 points again in his uh, for how who knows how many times in his career he's broken so many records so you know in terms of stats he's what number one in almost what he's number one in playoff wins or something like that now so he he's broken every milestone record that he that's that's coming right he's on his way to break the the points record in terms of most points in NBA history he's probably well on his way to probably break that if he keeps this pace up for the next three four years so so when you look at the the modern work that LeBron has done season by season he probably could have won six or eight MVPs but he only has four and he he mentioned that during that interview too along with being pissed off and so. But, you know, Giannis had a he had a season like Shaq. He had a season like where Shaq won MVP in 2000. So it's like when you look at the numbers, you know, he, these are the best numbers we've seen from a player like this since Shaquille O'Neal. And he's probably the closest thing to Shaquille O'Neal in terms of being dominant that we've seen in this in this modern in NBA, like the way that this NBA is constructed. Now, he's probably the most dominant guy that we have in this league. You need three guys to guard him. And we've seen that in the last series before they were eliminated with Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo all on one side crowding him. You know, it takes yeah. it takes more than one guy. So he's that valuable to the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought he was MVP of the uh, NBA. All right. So I was going to ask you, if you, if you had to pick, if you had to vote between LeBron and Giannis, you're still going Giannis? Yeah, I would have went Giannis. And it's no yeah. disrespect to LeBron James because, again, you know, it sucks that another year that LeBron has a great year, you know, Someone else has to, just happens to do something that's you know amazing, if not a little more amazing. It is, and that's the thing is statistic wise, they're not extremely far apart stat wise. Giannis averaged twenty nine and a half a game, thirteen and a half rebounds, five and a half assists. They both average a double double. LeBron averaged twenty five points a game, about eight rebounds and ten assists. So if you're just looking at those basic statistics, they're fairly similar. Similar. But, again, LeBron plays with AD. And so it's hard to be like, you know, LeBron was the one that absolutely led the Lakers in the playoffs. With the Bucs, it's, it's Giannis or bust for them. And, and I they, tell people that, too. And they I was don't telling, get the best record without Giannis. I was telling people that, too, Ben. It's like LeBron and Anthony Davis technically cancel each other out because they're that amazing. I mean, Anthony Davis probably averaged like 28 this year include, with a double-double. You know, and he was up for defensive player of the year. And a lot of Lakers fans was upset because that like no Laker won any awards. So LeBron didn't win MVP and Anthony Davis didn't win defensive player of the year. So a lot of Laker fans was upset at that situation because like, okay, so no Laker wins any award. And my question is who is Giannis's Anthony Davis? Like where is his Anthony Davis for the Milwaukee Bucks for you to validate why LeBron should win MVP or why Anthony or why Anthony Davis should win defensive player of the year? Right. It sure as hell isn't Chris Middleton or, or Bledsoe. <laughs> Absolutely not. He does. He just doesn't have one. That's the, he just doesn't have one. And I mean, maybe his team is built better for the you know regular season and be able to get the most wins in the regular season. But when you talk about MVP, I think you need to talk about dominance. I think that's a really important part of the MVP conversation is how dominant you were. And LeBron 
you could say he's dominant, I guess, but he's, I mean, he's just, he's really, really good still. But I think dominance, you have to put Giannis over LeBron in terms of just completely being able to dominate a defense. And it may be because of LeBron's age, because he is 35, he may just not be able to do that consistently anymore. And Giannis can. And I think that's a big reason why Giannis got this award. Yeah, and then, like, people always get mad with Giannis because he's out of the playoffs right now. I'm like, LeBron has literally not won a championship before winning two MVPs. So, like, the situation is really similar. And Michael Jordan also won Defensive Player of the Year and MVP and lost in the second round. And so it happens. It's It's happened before, and so you never know it may happen again. Yeah. And again, I mean, there there could be an argument to be made where you announce and vote for the MVP after the entire season is over, after the finals and everything. But I kind of like that they announce the MVP and then either the MVP is still in the playoffs and they have a chance to win finals MVP on top of that. Or you have a situation like this where LeBron now can win finals MVP. And I'm telling you right now, he would absolutely rather win finals MVP than MVP because that means he won a title. <laughs> For the most part. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think, yeah, so I think, you know, Laker fans should just, you know, relax just a little bit and just know that, you know, LeBron's chasing a bigger dream, you know, a bigger goal. All right, let's move on to what NBA Twitter is talking about this week. What it do, baby? Some good stuff going on Twitter. A lot of it dominated by NFL stuff, has to admit. The NFL taking a big portion of the NBA's uh, Twitter dominance the past couple of weeks. But there's still some fun stuff going on. Uh, We didn't really mention it with the Celtics series, but I think the fact that they were fighting that a lot of the Celtics, it was mainly Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown were yelling at each other, overheard yelling. This was reported by our own Shams as well. They were, I don't know what they were doing. They weren't physically fighting, but they were yelling at each other after losing game two to the Miami Heat. Um, It seemed like it kind of spilled over into a little bit of the rest of the team and they had to have serious conversations about it, but you know how much fun NBA Twitter likes to have with post-game locker room fights. So this kind of got turned into memes and everything like that but it was interesting to see that hey that marcus smart and jalen brown were getting into it because i you know marcus smart is he's not the most agreeable person out there and a lot of people think he's a dirty player so it's not it's understandable that he'd get in a fight with someone but to get in a fight with jalen brown who still seems kind of like a fairly level-headed guy is interesting yeah no that situation was uh kind of funny because you know some of the players were mad at uh marcus smart for taking that that three uh, in late in the fourth quarter, <laughs> late in the fourth quarter. So they were upset with him because he took that shot and he wasn't very pleased with how everyone was playing defense. And so <laughs> that led to that altercation, and, you know, that verbal altercation. And so you look at that and you go, okay, they're mad at him for taking the shot. He's mad because of the defense. Well, he probably was mad at the defense. So he took the shot on, on the offensive side <laughs> when it came down to it. That's probably how that situation turned Real out. Real mature. And so, yeah, they were a little childish towards the end of the uh, the game, too. And so they got it together in game three, and they forced a, you know, a 2-1 situation. Yeah, I think that just, I mean, that just shows how good of a team they are because there are definitely many teams out there where you can have post-game arguments in the locker room, and the next couple games you guys just play terribly. And you got to give it to the Celtics that they were able to pull it together. And I think a big reason why is Gordon Hayward, and he's the other point for that NBA Twitter was talking about, was because he, Zach, had an absolute glorious mustache to go along (laughs) with always his perfectly groomed hair. But his mustache at this point is immaculate. And it's really funny to me to see him 
sporting like a really well-trimmed, really well-kept mustache and clearly very important is like his hairstyle and taking care of his hair. And then to see what he looked like when he played on Butler, he didn't care. His hair was disgusting. He, he completely was, yeah. he didn't have any facial hair at all. He looked like a child. And now he's, you know, in whatever year, seven, year eight of his career. And he's completely changed his look. Just the facial hair all over. And I think that's the, that's his kids, right? You know, his kids having something to grab on, or, you know, when they touch his, touch his face and everything like <laughs> yes. that, you know, cause he was back home with his, uh, with his kids for a little while. And so when you look at that type of situation, uh, you know, Gordon Hayward, he has seen, you know, different different styles and different phases of his face. You know, he was the baby face at Butler. And now he you was. look at him. Now you look at him. He got this thick mustache. He, he got the uh, Jimmy Butler treatment right now going, you know, just wild. He just, does. Just, just a roughy, scruffy look. He does. And that's the, he, he's had some interesting looks because sometimes he goes scruff like on his cheeks and then the mustache. But this one just purely mustache and very slicked back hair. It's. I mean, we'll one day we'll have an episode. This may have been a really good episode to do over quarantine, but we do, you know, the NBA's best hairstyles. Yeah. <laughs> Hayward would have to be up there. He'd have to be. Yeah. Him he puts then, too much effort. Him and then a guy named Brian Bowen. <laughs> Brian Bowen has some good hair, too. He's the, he's on the Indiana Pacers. Wow. We maybe need to do this at one point. We'll do it. We'll do it. That's that's an offseason episode. NBA's best hair. Uh, Lakers fans being upset at LeBron for not winning MVP on Twitter. That is the most unsurprising thing of all time. It was really funny. This is how I looked at that. So Laker fans, which means that majority of them are probably going to be Kobe Bryant fans as well, which means at a point in time, they weren't LeBron James fans, but now they don't kind of have a choice, but to be LeBron James fans because he plays on their franchise, Los Angeles Lakers, which means that they were that, which also means that Kobe fans were upset. At, about LeBron not winning MVP, that has to be the funniest thing of 2020, in my opinion. <laughs> that, I agree. That is unbelievably. Listen, when Lakers fans are upset on Twitter, I think everyone else is pretty happy. That's always a good move. Um, last thing for NBA Twitter, Shams. Oh, this is a little Bulls tangent because Shams reported this that the Bulls are narrowing their finalists for their head coaching job um, to a few candidates and. The names that he mentioned was the Denver assistant Wes Unsell Jr., Philadelphia assistant uh, Ime Udoka, Milwaukee assistant Darvin Ham, and uh, the former Brooklyn Nets head coach Kenny Atkinson. And Zach, let me tell you, I'd be fine with any four of those guys. Um, Wes, I've heard great things about Wes Unseld and Udoka as well from Philadelphia, the 76ers assistant. Kenny Atkinson has a great history with developing a young team and young players like he did with the Nets. I would be completely fine with all four of those. I love to promote an assistant coach to a head coach. I usually think that's a really good move. I don't like dipping your toe back into the head coaching carousel where you just kind of recycle these old head coaches that have come through the league and haven't had too much success, but you're just hoping that something changes when you hire them. But Kenny Atkinson is kind of young enough and he's new enough that I think he would be okay with the Bulls. So I'm glad that they're actually taking a coaching search seriously because they absolutely have not done that with their last two coaches that they hired with Boylan at all. Absolutely not with Boylan. So I'm glad they're taking it seriously. And let me tell you, I'm optimistic as a Bulls fan for the first time in probably half a decade. Yeah, I like um, the Darvin Ham option. He's from my yeah, hometown. Yeah, from Milwaukee. Yeah, he's yeah. from my hometown, Saginaw. And, so, and he played for the Detroit Pistons, won a ring with them in 2004. So it'd be pretty nice to see him get an opportunity uh, Darvin Ham. That's the most familiar name that I see, obviously, with uh, besides uh, Wes. 
you know, everybody knows Wes. And then Kenny Atkinson, of course. But out of all those opportunities, I would like to see Darvin Ham get, get, get his uh, opportunity first. He's come from a winning team. And that's the thing. You just you have to take the assistance that have come from winning franchises. I mean, that's just the smart move. You you get the, the assistants who have been under a great coach or I guess Budenholzer a good coach, in my opinion. Not, not, <laughs> yeah, not great coach. yet. Good coach. <laughs> but he's from the franchise who has a history of winning. He He's an assistant that undoubtedly knows how to win. So I, I'm happy with anyone the Bulls hire from that list at this point. I, I think they could do no wrong with any of the four. So it'll be interesting to see. And it's it's good that they put themselves in a position, in my opinion, where they can't make a bad hire if it is with these four coaches. Uh, let's do stat of the week. And the stat of the week this week, Zach, is uh, I thought was an interesting one. And I found it maybe like two hours before we actually started recording. It has to do with Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets. And the stat was, this is from John Hollinger from The Athletic. He tweeted out that Jamal Murray was plus 16 in the 44 minutes that he played with the Nuggets, which means that when Jamal Murray was in for 44 minutes, the Nuggets outscored the Lakers by 16 points, which means in the four minutes that he was not playing in the game, they lost to the Lakers that badly. They lost by more than 16 points. They got outscored by much more than 16 points when Jamal when was, on the floor. was not in the game for four minutes. Four minutes. That's it. That's how important Jamal Murray is to this team. Yeah, he's going to be exhausted. Like, he's going to he's going to be exhausted if he, if he has to continue to play and maximize that amount of minutes, 44 minutes out of a 48-minute stretch. Man, that's that's too many minutes on him. And that's that's that just means that they're relying on him too much. And that just goes back to what Michael Porter Jr. said, you know, just having, you know, some different guys get involved, you know, having more guys outside of Murray and Jokic. And you said it may only have to be them, but they may have to actually try to find another guy or seek someone else. You know, maybe it's supposed to be Paul Millsap. I mean, he's the guy with yeah. the $30 million contract. So maybe it's supposed to be him, a guy that can get you a consistent 18, you know, 20 points a game. Maybe it is supposed to be him because he got paid. But right now, it hasn't been. and It needs to be because this is the Los Angeles Lakers we're talking about. Oh, absolutely. And you could have tied the game. I mean, you could, yeah, you could have tied the series up one-to-one, but missed opportunities on the offensive side despite playing good defense and missed free throws, it wasn't just P.J. Dozier. They missed probably more. They missed over 10 free throws at least in that game that, you know, obviously could have put them in a better position in this series. Yeah, that's the difference. I mean, the free throws right there, especially in the fourth with Dozier missing four, I, that that was that was the difference. You win that game if you make your free throws. But I also, Zach, I want to iterate too that I did say that Jamal and Jokic are fine offensively. And I think, for me, I was talking about the like in crunch time, but I absolutely do think that they need another score. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. theoretically is who they want him to be. They want him to be that third scoring option, but he's just so inconsistent sometimes that he's not there yet. But they do need that third and fourth scoring option for the rest of the game to be able to compete with teams like the Lakers uh, or, you know, teams. We saw them compete with the Clippers pretty well. It's just, I think in crunch time, all you really need offensively is Jamal and Jokic. I think those two play such a good two-man game together that you are fine in crunch time with them running the offense. But for the rest of the game, for the other you know, 43 minutes of the game, you need those third and fourth options, especially coming off the bench. So yeah, Gary for Harris, them to be somebody. that bad. 
yeah, Gary Harris needs to step up and maybe we'll see Will Barton when he comes back next season because it doesn't look like he's going to be back for this series. Maybe he'll contribute next season after his knee injury is healed. But Jamal Murray and the team being plus 16 in 44 minutes, A, shows how good they are with Jamal Murray and how important he is. But then for them to lose the game in four minutes of play is not good. They need some scoring when he's on the bench because he can't play 44 minutes a game during the regular season or even in the first couple rounds of the playoffs because he will be done. He'll be done by the end of the playoffs if he does that. Yeah, exactly. And so that leads to our final segment of the podcast, Ben, and that is overreaction. Or no. Or no. Yeah. <laughs> so the Denver Nuggets can win a game or two in this series, Ben. Is that an overreaction? Oh, man, if you asked me that two days ago, I would have said no. And now I'm a little worried. Uh, and I think the thing is, I think they have the ability to. I think they have the personnel to beat the Lakers. We saw that they almost did that. If Davis doesn't make the shot, we're not having this conversation. But I think because Anthony Davis made that shot, I think that does so much to the Nuggets psyche. They came so close to winning the game, to tying the series up. And in one shot, all of that is gone. They worked back down 16 points. They're always coming back down from deficits. They tire themselves out. Jamal Murray plays 44 minutes. Jokic is exhausted. All these guys are just tired from having to work themselves back from a deficit. All of that just to lose on a buzzer beater. It is really, really tough to come back from that. It really is. Just mentally, it's tough. Not, not even to mention physically. So I... Uh, I don't think it's an overreaction to say they can win another game. I think it would be a little crazy to say they can win at least two games in this series. I hope they do. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I think they can at least win one game, man, at least one. Based off what I saw from game two, I believe they can at least win one game because I believe that they're always going to fight. You know, I don't think just because because they've been in that position, you know, the Utah Jazz series where, you know, Donovan Mitchell had came down and he's he was able to close some of those games as it was going, you know, a full games, full seven game series. And so I think even though even though they did lose on a on a buzzer beater, that could be a confidence killer. I think they could still bounce back and be able to win at least one game in this series, at least one. I hope they do. I really do. I, I and there may be something that changes my confidence about them not winning two games, but I hope they do. And they do seem like a team, the more you think about it, I guess, that wouldn't let that mental block affect them too much. But, man, just looking at the quotes from the post game yesterday where Mike Malone just said he he still doesn't understand how they lost and just how dejected they looked and how dejected they seemed in their interviews. Jamal Murray just walked out on his post game interview because he was so upset. So it's tough. It's tough when you've just been dragging yourself from behind, even in the last series, to go seven games to go down and then to finally have the lead just to see it taken away in a last second shot. It's tough. That is just so hard mentally for them to come back from. Exactly. Especially when you did a good job on LeBron James in the yeah. second half, you know, they were able to, you know, limit him after having a great first half, you know, and then you, you get so close, you tie the game up, you take the lead late in the game. Jokic has a great shot, put them in position. And then just a dagger, you know, just a dagger, from Anthony Davis to just put them up and just a buzzer beater shot to win the game. That could be the confidence killer, but 
this Nuggets team, we've seen it. You know, that's why they're here. That's why they're in the Western Conference Finals, because they've been able to bounce back from disappointing losses throughout these playoffs and uh, get here. And this is where they are in the Western Conference Finals. And so we'll have to wait and see how they bounce back in their following game with the Lakers. All right. So before we end this, just wanted to check up on what our predictions were from last week. And if I remember them correctly, I think for the Eastern Conference, I think I said that was going to be the Celtics in seven, I believe. And you said Celtics in six. Yes, sir. I said the Celtics in six. I'm still right. a believer of still that. possible. Well, yes, it's still especially possible. now with Gordon Hayward back. They look like a completely different team. And then on the other side, we said uh, the Lakers probably in I think you said six. I may have said five. Yeah, I Unless, said the Lakers in six for sure. Oh, so it, it's looking more like Lakers in five, but I did say Lakers in six. I mean, still, listen, I, I'm as big of a fan of the Nuggets as anyone. And it was funny, too, because I had a couple people I was talking to about this game who just it made them sad. It made me sad to see the Nuggets lose that way because I want to see the Nuggets win. I think they're a very fun team and I like them more than the Lakers. And Jamal Murray is just such a likable guy that to see them lose. It's just it was heartbreaking. It was tough to watch. Yeah, it was tough to watch to see them lose like that be off the strength of the Lakers play so poorly in the second half. Like I felt like the Lakers, okay, the Lakers are kind of blowing this game now at this point, so they just kind of deserve to lose. And that's why I said it didn't look like Frank Vogel looked too pleased after the Anthony Davis shot. I mean, he talked about how great it was, and he mentioned it was a Kobe shot, a Mamba shot, and things like that. But I don't think he wanted his team to be in that position, you know, after having such a you know comfortable lead on this team, you know, going into third, midway through the third quarter at least. Yeah, so – We'll see what happens. I mean, I think I'm definitely pulling for the Nuggets. It looks like the Lakers are probably going to still win this series, and we may uh, we'll have a Lakers in the finals, and we'll see between the Heat and the Celtics. Absolutely. And so that will conclude this edition of the Points in the Paint podcast. I am Zach Badgerhouse, and, of course, Ben Wittenstein. And make sure you follow us both on Twitter at Zach Badgerhouse and at Ben Wittenstein. Of course, follow Shams on Twitter for all of your latest NBA and breaking news. Make sure you follow Stadium as well. Make sure you listen to Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder. They come out every Thursday. And do not forget to subscribe and rate and review the Points in the Paint podcast and follow Points Paint on Twitter. And we will hear from us next week.